43 people were shot last weekend in Chicago, three fatally, continuing a longstanding crime trend in a city that has been continuously and exclusively run by Democrats since 1931. The current mayor has not done anything about it, even as shootings have spiked 50% over the past year, 5-0. But now, the current Democrat mayor insists she has finally identified the problem. What is it? Take a guess. What do you think is the problem? Corruption? No, no. Lawlessness? Not a chance. Bad education? Nope. Do you know what the problem is? It's, it's the answer to every one of these social issues. Racism. Ooh. A radical racialized regime is letting criminals off the hook from Chicago to New York, indoctrinating kids into hating their country, and even attempting to replace the American flag, something that I called just about three, four days ago. Happy Juneteenth. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Friday is from Rachel Williams, who points out that if we're always healing, then we are choosing to remain sick. This is so true. People who say we need to heal, we need to, you know, we just need to come out, come here, talk about it. We need to heal. It's the same sort of people who go to therapy for 40 years, but never solve any problem. The idea is that there's no end. There's no cure. There's no victory. This is what Barack Obama actually told us about the, the very day of Juneteenth, which is so much in the news. And we'll get to it in a second because the libs completely proved me right about it. Like, within 48 hours. But the idea is there is no victory. There is no win. There is no healing. There is no cure. It's the perpetual revolution that never stops. It is never completed, which is how the left has totally dominated the culture. It's how they control our words and control our minds. The subject of a new book that is coming out tomorrow, baby. This is the last chance to pre-order. Get your signed first edition copy. The last chance at Premier Collectibles. You know, one great way to listen to the book is because you can read it, obviously, and you can get the Kindle, but you can listen to it with your Raycon wireless earbuds. A pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears can make all the difference no matter what you are listening to. You get crisp, clear, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycons look great. They feel even better. They come in a cool range of colors. They've got customizable gel tips included for a customizable, comfortable in-ear fit. And they're built to go wherever you go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. I'm just going to be very blunt about this. They are a superior product to the competitors on the market, okay? I know, look, you don't care about music. You don't, maybe you care about listening to your favorite podcast, for instance. But I know what you really want is to listen to your favorite new audiobook that's about to come out. You're going to want to do that with Raycons. Raycons offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. Here's what you got to do. Go to buyraycon.com slash Knowles. There you will get 15% off your entire Raycon order. Such a good deal, you're going to want to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash Knowles, buyraycon.com slash Knowles. Racism is specifically anti-black racism, by the way, because that, according to the left, is the only real racism that there is. There's no such thing as anti-white racism. Anti-black racism is the cause of all the problems in Chicago. So says Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who declared on Thursday that uh, the systemic racism in Chicago is a, quote, public health crisis. The city needs to divert $10 million in grants from the CDC, grants that were meant to fight coronavirus, to establish, quote, healthy Chicago equity zones. Quote, at almost every point in our city's history, sadly, racism has taken a devastating toll on the public health, and well-being of our residents of color, and particularly those who are black. Chicago has a lot of problems. Over the past year during coronavirus, during the lockdowns, I should say, shootings and murders are up 50%, 50%, 0 Racism, right? It's all white racists going out and hunting down poor, innocent black men. It's all Trump supporting white men in MAGA hats yelling, it's MAGA country on the south side of Chicago, while poor old Jussie Smollett just tries to eat his Subway salad, right? Is that what it is? Well, it's, it is a lot like that in that those two alleged white Trump supporters were giant Nigerian guys who were hired by Smollett himself. If you look at the crime statistics in Chicago, 
what percentage of the victims are black? 75%. Okay, that's pretty bad. 75% of the victims are black. So what, 75% of the perpetrators are white? No. Turns out when you look at the killers, 71.3% are black. So almost to say a little bit less. So do white people make up the rest of that? No. Of the victims, 18.9% are Hispanic. Of the killers, 24.6% are Hispanic. So that's, that's interesting. That's kind of making up for the other numbers. And then how about white people? Of the victims, 4.6% are white. Of the killers, 3.5% are white. So significantly less likely to be a killer than to be killed if you are white in Chicago. Racism has nothing to do with it. Unless all of these black murderers are anti-black racists. These Hispanic murderers are anti-Hispanic racists. Probably not. Racism is, as we have said before on this show, just a stand-in for very shallow thinking progressives, for secularists, to be able to make sense of the fact of sin. We know that sin pervades the world. We know, original sin is not some untested theory. It is just an observable fact. We are broken. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all do bad stuff. And because we all do bad stuff, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world, but we can't make sense of that anymore. So the only evil that we can ever talk about is racism, even though there's just no, it's insane. It's insane to say that Chicago's problems are because of racism. That 72% 72% of killers, 71.3% of killers in Chicago are, are black because of what? Because of secret self-hating racism? Doesn't make sense. It's not just Chicago. Th- th- what this is leading to is a very perverse system of injustice, whereby the imaginary problem of systemic racism, the completely made up, contrived problem of systemic racism, Don't forget, the only legal racism in this country is against whites and Asians (laughs) in university admissions. It's called affirmative action. There are other things that come out of that, other sort of grants and other legal issues, but it all goes in that direction. It does not, not go in the other direction. But because we have this bizarre distortion of reality, this misperception, we have even greater injustice. So for instance, during the BLM riots of 2020, Many people were caught on video. There's cameras all over the place in the society. They were caught on video looting, rioting, burning things to the ground, hurting people, killing people. And now they're getting off the hook. If you were a BLM looter, not if you're a conservative guy, if you're a BLM looter, you get off the hook. According to the data, 118 arrests were made in the Bronx during the worst of the looting in early June, you know, the mostly peaceful looting. Justice for George, we're going to go steal some Puma sneakers. I guess Nike, I don't know. 118 arrests. Since that time, the Bronx district attorney and the courts have dismissed most of the cases. Just dismiss them. You bust down some window, you go and steal some guy's property. Odds are you're going to get off the hook. 73 cases completely dismissed. 18 cases remain open, 19 convictions, but not 19 convictions for the crimes they actually committed. 19 convictions for lesser crimes like trespassing, which includes no jail time. Not just in the Bronx. In Manhattan, there were 485 arrests during the BLM riots, specifically on charges of looting. Of those cases, or I suppose not for charge, they didn't charge them. So this was arrests for looting. 222 of these cases of the 485 were dropped, just completely dropped. 73 resulted in convictions, again, for lesser counts like trespassing with no jail time. Another 40 cases involved juveniles. They were not really dealt with. They were sent to family court. And then 128 cases remain open. 128 of 485 even have the chance of remaining open. We need to be merciful, Michael. There are too many people in prison. Well, I don't, you know, if crime is spiking up. If shootings are up 50% in Chicago, that doesn't tell me that we have an over-incarceration problem. That tells me we have an under-incarceration problem. Tells me criminal justice reform means putting more of these criminals in prison for longer periods of time, giving harsher penalties to these people to discourage the crime. But okay, let's go with what you're saying. You, hypothetical liberal, you are telling me that we, in mercy and compassion, 
we need to let these people off really easily. And if, even if you go in and smash things up and steal stuff and really invade people's space and threaten their lives, we're just going to charge you with trespassing. Okay. Now tell me about the Capitol riot. Tell me, because just from my vantage, what do I know? What do I know? I'm looking at six months at least of BLM terrorists burning down cities across the country, killing many people, injuring many more people, stealing people's stuff and ruining their lives and setting buildings on fire. They mostly get their cases dismissed. And when they do have to deal with criminal penalties, it's trespassing and they don't go to jail. Now, fast forward, you go to the Capitol riot, which went on for a few hours on January 6th, and you get some kooky people in helmets and horns making a mess of Nancy Pelosi's desk and jumping, jumping up and down and walking out with her lectern. And those guys are going to rot in prison. They are going to have the book thrown at them for committing far lesser offenses than the BLM terrorists who are completely getting off the hook. Does that seem like justice to you? It does seem like justice to the perverse, racialized radicals who believe that there ought to be a double standard. If you are a leftist, you should face fewer consequences for committing worse crimes than a conservative. If you are black, you should face lesser consequences for worse crimes than if you are white. They are telling you this almost, depends on where you are. In some cases, they will tell you this explicitly. They'll say this is important to restorative justice, that because of historical wrongs, we need a double standard to let people off the hook. This is not just true in the criminal justice system. This is true in school punishments. There's a school district in Minnesota I'm sure there are many school districts in Minnesota that have, like this one, hired an equity committee to make radical leftist recommendations for how to run the school. But this particular school district has now gotten a recommendation from their equity committee that the schools stop suspending students for any offense. No suspensions. Because the suspensions allegedly make the students feel shamed and they provide no, quote, restorative benefits. It makes the students who do the shameful things, they might feel shamed by being punished. So we can't punish them anymore. The Pioneer Press is reporting the St. Paul Public School District's equity committee made the recommendations because specifically high numbers of black and Indian, feather not dot, American Indian students are getting suspended compared to white students and I guess Hispanic students. And so because of that, because black students are getting in trouble, and Indian students are getting in trouble at a higher rate. That is evidence, according to these people, that the rules are unjust and we need to let people do whatever they want. The, a member of the, com- of the school community says, we cannot do our jobs if the students are home. Restorative practices, uh, 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 he's the quote, restorative practices coordinator at Central High School. Okay, the restorative practices communicator, whatever that is. This is the new world that we're living in. No punishment, crime runs rampant, not just in the streets, also in our schools. That's a crystal ball. Think about what your culture is going to look like in 20 years. If that's the way students are not just living today, but how they are being raised, how they will be set up to consider justice in the future. Total dereliction of education. You know, it's hard to find this stuff sometimes on the internet because the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. When you want to go on to those really nefarious websites like dailywire.com and find this information, you're going to want to check out ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like driving without car insurance. Why would you take that risk? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data, passwords, financial details, etc. Your data are valuable, okay? Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. ExpressVPN acts as online insurance, creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers cannot steal your personal data. It's super secure. I would really, really recommend you you get this right now. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption, okay? Fire it up. It's one button. It's really simple. You, you don't want people to know what kind of websites you're looking at. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dailywire.com. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Michael, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Michael. You can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash Michael. We are living 
in a radicalized, racialized, woke regime. And they are trying to transform every aspect of our culture. They're trying to change the rules of criminal justice, abolish the police, defund the police, the symbol of our legal system. They are no longer standing for the flag or the national anthem. They are, they're creating new flags that are allegedly supposed to represent us. They are not recognizing traditional American rituals or holidays. They're inventing new ones. You know, you can read about this in my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. I like now that the producers are going to jump me. They're going to, ju- they're going to intuit better than I can the plugs for my book, which is coming out tomorrow. I'll tell you what, if you haven't already, stop what you are doing. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I don't care if you're driving down the street. You slow down. Okay. Slow down. Pull over to the, to the shoulder of the road. Get on your phone. Just pre-order Speechless right now. If you haven't done it already, if you have done it already, maybe you get another copy. Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available wherever you can pre-order your books. I, you know how much I hate to say I told you so. You know it pains me. It causes me great pain. I was so right about Juneteenth. It, it surprised even me. I knew that I was right that Juneteenth, quote unquote, is a bad idea to make a national holiday. I knew that it was just leftist claptrap that was playing on Republicans' innocence and naivete and goodwill to try to not be seen as racist and terrible. And I knew, I knew that it was not what people were presenting it as. I have a piece up at the Daily Wire, which you can go read on on a fuller explanation of why Juneteenth should not be a federal holiday. But I, I knew it. Within about 48 hours, the libs proved me right. Specifically, here's how. Here's just one way in which the libs proved me right. When you typed in Juneteenth on Twitter this weekend, there was a little emoji that popped up right next to the hashtag. That emoji was the raised fist, the power fist. It was the, you know the power, it's like the communist power fist, except it was in black, so it was the black nationalist power fist. And then, bizarrely, the knuckles were rainbow colors. I couldn't tell. I assumed it was a, a pride rainbow or a, cause it's pride month. I don't, it's very confusing because as far as I can tell, black pride and black nationalist activists are generally not the most woke on the LGBT stuff, but I don't know. They were combining all of it. I Googled, I said, I must be misunderstanding this. I must be overreacting. Two days after telling us that Juneteenth is the most American holiday ever, it's American as apple pie, and all these Republicans made really shallow arguments for why we need to celebrate. It's the day that the Republicans freed the Democrat slaves or whatever. They're going to symbolize this event with a communist, black nationalist symbol? Well, yes. If you just Google raised fist, black power fist, whatever. Wikipedia, which is a left-wing outlet, says the raised fist or the clenched fist is a long-standing image of mixed meaning, often a symbol of political solidarity. It is a common symbol of communism. Oh, right. That's where I've seen that before. Republicans take knives to a gunfight. I'm speaking metaphorically. Thank you very much. I know. Look, if I were a BLM activist, I would be speaking literally. I would be burning down the country and threatening people's lives and I would be applauded for it. But because I'm a conservative, I need to make clear I'm speaking metaphorically. We take knives to a gunfight. It was so clear if you pay attention to what the left does, if you pay attention to the subtle ways that they manipulate language and symbols to totally transform our culture. It's a topic in my upcoming book, Speechless. Last day to pre-order it right now. If you pay attention to this, you knew that the arguments Republicans were making on Juneteenth are just pathetic. They were pathetic. They'd say, but it's a good holiday. We need to to embrace it. It's about freeing the slaves. If the national holiday of Juneteenth was not about creating an alternative independence day to the 4th of July, why did they title the bill the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act? If Juneteenth were just this natural, organic holiday that was being celebrated in parts of Texas, and then now it's at the national level, why now? Why did it take 150 years for this local, organic holiday to develop to the national level? How come no one had heard of this outside of parts of Texas until about three years ago? And now all of a sudden, it's the most sacred holy day of the year. Wake up, people. Pay attention to the way in which the left 
is manipulating you and your emotions and most notably language. It's a topic of my, my upcoming book too. Man, they're real trigger happy today. So as they should be, it's the last day to pre-order the book. So I pointed out correctly that Juneteenth was meant as a replacement of the 4th of July. And this is obviously in the title of the bill and that this was all about reframing the history of our country, which is what the head of the 1619 project promised us when she launched that project in the New York Times. She said, this is a project that aims to reframe American history to make slavery the center of the whole thing. So then I was reading an op-ed by singer Macy Gray. Why was I doing that? I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but I saw the op-ed come around and what does the op-ed say? For Juneteenth, America needs a new flag that all of us can honor. Her argument, which is barely literate, is that the the American flag now is just like the Confederate flag. This is an argument that I told you all they would make a couple of years ago. Why? Because the argument was the Confederate flag, it's the flag of slavery. And that's why we need to ban it basically from the Amazon store and we need to ban it from public display. And I said, hold on a second. If they're saying that the Confederate flag is the flag of slavery, sure, the Confederacy did secede in large part over the question of slavery. So there's a particular connection there. But you might just as well say that the American flag is the flag of slavery because the American flag flew over a slave nation for quite a long time, right? The American flag was the flag, or a version of the American flag was the flag in the 1770s and 80s and 90s and all those decades before Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. All those decades before Juneteenth. Well, now the singer Macy Gray is pointing that. She's saying this flag, quote, no longer represents us. It no longer represents democracy and freedom. I've pointed out with these new regulations permitting the gay rainbow flag and the BLM flag to fly in certain American outposts, the pride flag flying at at U.S. embassies, I pointed out that today for the left, the rainbow flag and the BLM flag are, in their mind, better representations of our country than the American flag. The American flag, which used to be a shared symbol, both Republicans and Democrats, who disagreed with one another on many things, they would both salute the flag. That is no longer the case. Now, Democrats at the very highest levels will disrespect the flag. They will kneel down, not in prayer and supplication, not in devotion, but in protest of the flag. And the flag is a symbol of the country, and it's because they're protesting the whole country. I think that Macy Gray is making a lot of sense. If you buy into the the BLM narrative, the 1619 narrative, the Juneteenth national narrative, I'm not talking about the local tradition in Texas. I'm talking about what has become a national holiday now in opposition to the 4th of July. If you buy into that stuff, then of course you need a new flag. The stars and stripes do not represent you. And they're going to gaslight you about this. They're going to gaslight you. Don Lemon is already doing this at at, uh, CNN. He's saying to the critics of critical race theory, he's saying, cut it out. Stop complaining about this. Stop having any of your own views about, about American history. Stop making this all about you. You know, I had somebody today saying, well, you know, I, I'm just, I'm worried. I want in the telling of that history. Go I don't on, want sorry. people lecturing my kid like, hey, you're white. You're bad because of this and this. I said, why do you think that's what it will be? Mm-hmm. I said, that's the only problem is your perception. Why wouldn't want your, your kid to understand the roots of slavery? And the legacy of slavery, how it has played out for enslaved people as a culture throughout the years. Why wouldn't you want that? You don't think that telling people that they were beaten and sold and lynched makes them feel bad? That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Your, so that's all Nobody's I, happy to hear it. That's your idea of, uh, that's the whole thing about what privilege is, is that you, 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 people don't like to have their pleasure interrupted, their peace interrupted. And so people think that it should be the way that it should be because they have been taught that in, right. in, in this country. But, you know, telling people, having people come to the realization, especially ancestors of slaves, that they, they were enslaved and that they were beaten, that they were sold, that they weren't able to accrue wealth, that they weren't able to go to school, they weren't able to go vote. You think that makes them feel good? So the folks on the other side, stop making it about you and be curious instead of judgmental. Yeah, stop making it about you. 
Stop making it about you. Be curious instead of judgmental and allow us to make all of the judgments and not be interested in your point of view at all and allow us to reframe American history. You know, in these crazy times, you're going to want to protect yourself. And one does not only need to be able to go on offense, one also needs to be able to go on defense, which is why I recommend AR-500 armor. Protecting yourself, exercising your Second Amendment right means not just the firearm portion of it, but also the armor portion of it, the defense against bad guys. All right. AR-500 armor has loadouts designed for everyone, whether you need a comfortable, concealable vest for daily use. Maybe you need a plate carrier for the range. Maybe you need a fully equipped setup for the worst case scenario. Our friends over at AR-500 armor have made buying body armor easy, approachable, and affordable. If you are unsure of what type of armor you need, or you just need some pointers based on your needs, they have got you covered. AR-500 armor has multiple packages pre-built for people just like you, simplifies the entire process of purchasing armor. They've got their Independence Day sale going on right now, so you can have your order in time before the 4th of July. These sales are up to 50% off select products, so get them while they last. They've got rifle-rated bundles starting as low as $99. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 88027 to see all their promotions and special prices running right now. Use code Knowles for 20% off. Right now, they've got these great packages specifically for DW listeners. So there's something for everyone at AR500Armor.com slash Knowles. Text Knowles to 88027 for 20% off your first order. Tomorrow, my friends, it's been a long journey. Been a long journey. Speechless. Controlling words, controlling minds. My first book with words. My second book, but my first with words, is available in bookstores tomorrow, Tuesday, June 22nd. I will be doing a live signing at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Central at dailywire.com, Daily Wire YouTube, Daily Wire Facebook. If you want a signed copy, head on over to premiercollectibles.com slash speechless before the signing and order one. You got to do it and you got to do it before the signing. Don't forget to type your question at the prompter when you check out. Uh, then tune into my live signing and I will try to answer your question. If I don't, do not fret. You will still get your signed copy. That's premiercollectibles.com slash speechless. Get your signed copy. Tune in tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 Central, dailywire.com, dailywire YouTube, dailywire Facebook to watch my live signing. Thank you to the many, many of you who have pre-ordered books. But by my count, there are still, still some of our listeners who have not pre-ordered yet. So go do that today. Also, you can now do more than just tune in. Because if you're a Daily Wire All Access member, you can get tickets to be part of Candace's live studio audience here at DW headquarters in Nashville. Hurry, uh, seating is limited. Tickets are going to go fast. If you live in the Nashville area or you've been planning to take a trip here, which I strongly recommend, it's a great town, now's the time. Tickets are being sold for $20 each, so head on over to dailywire.com tickets today to pick up yours. We'll be right back with a lot more. During the Tweedledee Tweedledum handoff on CNN between Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo, Don Lemon went off on these parents who oppose critical race theory in schools. And he used a very subtle trick that you will sometimes hear leftist activists and race hustlers use. He said, did you catch it? He said, What's wrong with telling people that they were beaten and enslaved and lynched and harassed? What's wrong with telling people that these things happened to them? You see, the problem with that is none of the people that are being taught critical race theory have been lynched or enslaved or lived under Jim Crow. None of them. Perhaps their great grandparents or great, great or great, 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 great grandparents experienced some of those things, but they do not. The conflation of the people living today with the circumstances of their ancestors, that's the trick here. This is, this is all part of the, the Juneteenth trick of Barack Obama in his own words saying Juneteenth is all about there not being a victory. It's all about all the work that we have to do. It's not a day to celebrate achievements. It's a day to keep working harder toward the never-ending march toward progress. What Don Lemon is saying is, if you're black, you are still enslaved. You are still being, you, when you're being taught about what happened five generations ago, that is true today for you. 
And so you should resent that. You should feel aggrieved because of that. And you deserve some special privilege. He uses that line. He says, that's what privilege is, is not having to face these things. People don't want to have their pleasure interrupted. BS. Actually, the opposite of that is true. Don Lemon lives the most ridiculously decadent, privileged life relative to just about anyone in human history. He is a guy, he talks on CNN all day and he goes out to his place in the Hamptons and he gets a little grab happy with some of the bartenders allegedly at one of those bars in the Hamptons that I've actually been to a number of times. So I believe the argument that he's making and, or I believe the argument that the bartender is making when he accuses Don Lemon of grabbing him. People forget about that story, but Don Lemon did get me too. Let's, we'll leave that for another time. This guy lives a luxurious, pleasurable, decadent life. And yet, he is choosing to interrupt that pleasure, to feign grievance, because grievance carries social currency. It makes people feel good, gives you a jolt. When you feel aggrieved, when you, when you think about revenge, let's say, for uh, someone who has wronged you, it doesn't matter what they wrong. Maybe they, someone you know, shot your paw out west, or maybe someone just like cut you off in traffic. When you fixate on the ways that you can get back at them, for, for wrongs, whether they're legitimate or, or imagined, it actually does feel good. Self-righteousness does feel good. And people do like to interrupt their pleasure to pretend that they're aggrieved. That is how this culture of victimhood has developed, all based on a lie. But it's the central lie of the 1619 Project and Ju- the Juneteenth national holiday and the BLM movement that the worst possible historical circumstances for black people specifically, but really for any victim group of people, are the circumstances that they are living in perpetually all the time with no hope of ever changing that. They're really upset on the left that conservatives are calling out this radical ideology, specifically critical race theory. The way that conservatives have been finding out what's going on in the schools is not through any nefarious, hidden, secret means. They're just filing Freedom of Information Act requests. So they're going, they're saying, okay, these are public documents on what the curricula include and what sort of things the teachers are saying. So we're going to go, we're going to request them. We're taxpayers. We're going to go see what those documents are. Oh, hey, look, it's radical, critical race theory. And a journalist, an NBC reporter, actually went on MSNBC to complain that citizens are using perfectly legal means to uncover facts about what's going on in their school. She said, this is, you know, a reporter whose job it is to uncover facts and present them to people is furious that while she and the rest of the reporters are derelicting their duty, the parents are doing the reporter's job themselves. It's hard for me as a reporter because I don't want to put uh, foils in a bad light, right? Freedom of information laws are wonderful things, but it is, in fact, a tactic of um, national and just hyper and and, uh, fast growing local organizations to use onerous public records requests. So what we'll see, what we saw in Maine is asking for all of these records requests of, you know, how much money did you spend on anything involving race? And then that is used to sort of um, frame, again, the school board as being um, as, as paying for for um, uh, CRT, which again, is just not the case. And so that's what happened there. In Nevada, we saw, um, again, this local group called uh, Nevada Family Alliance, who was really known for trying to get um, Drag Queen Story Hour stopped at the local libraries. And now she, one activist there told me that this was the opportunity she had been waiting for. So she files these onerous FOIA requests, gets them, and then translates them in a way that's just not correct or accurate, in a way to suggest that, again, the school board is coming from your children and teachers are specifically teaching kindergartners white kindergartners that they're somehow oppressors. It's just not really true. Um, you know, it's just not, uh, really correct. Um, it's just not really, how condescending is this woman's tone? I think she's saying many things that are not true at the moment. And then she's complaining about true things that are perfectly legitimate, but it's the tone that gets me this smug, condescending. Um, and you know, the problem with it is it's just, uh, it's not really, it's just not quite true. Uh, so, well, okay. If you're going to refute the claims that conservatives have made that critical race theory and associated ideological movements have 
now been brought on into our schools all the way down to elementary school, if you're going to refute that, then refute it. Because we got the receipts. There's a great reporter on this on the right, Chris Rufo at City Journal, who who has done a huge investigative series on CRT in schools. He's shown specific examples of teachers promoting the ideas that all white people are racist, that white-led school systems systemically, quote, spirit murder black children, that white parents should become, quote, white traitors, and that white teachers are inherently guilty of, quote, covert white supremacy, right? These are specific examples from schools. We've got the documents here on the right, notably because of Chris's efforts. There are a lot of other ones too. And it's not, I mean, Chris and a lot of people right now are focusing on just what CRT means in schools right now. But this has been going on for a long time through the broader critical theory movement, which is a major topic of my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. So if you want to see how this has infected schools, not just in the last few years, but over the past few decades, or even further back, going all the way back to the 60s and actually even further back to the 30s, you can read that in my upcoming book available now for pre-order for the last day. Now, this woman says it's not happening. Don't believe it. It's totally fake. It's they're, they're lying and they should stop getting all of the documents that prove that they're right. <laughs> okay, if they're just lying, if they're just making this up, why are you upset, so upset about them getting these public documents that prove them right? Oh, that's why, because it proves them right. Speaking of madness in our schools, beyond the topic of race, got to get to the topic of sex. There is a a Canadian professor who is under fire right now for encouraging young girls to prostitute themselves when they are young as they are beginning to start their careers. Naomi Sayers, who's an adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa, tweeted out, quote, unpopular opinion, The best thing young people can do early in their careers is do hashtag sex work on the side because your early career prospects will be unstable, unpredictable, low pay, likely contract work, and very much exploitative. Now, a spokesperson for this, a spokesman for for this woman is saying she was being ironic. She was making a criticism of capitalism. So she's saying, don't, don't believe that this woman's actually encouraging her students to prostitute themselves. But then later on, the same spokesman said that this is just part of her point on the shaming, on slut shaming and sex work. So then it seems like she is defending prostitution and the kids to go into it. So this woman's obviously very confused. She does make a criticism of capitalism. She says, that's how capitalism works. People out here saying young people can be exploited in sex work. Literally, that's capitalism. Lol. And quite literally, that's any kind of work. Any kind of work. Abolish capitalism. Abolish, actually abolish prison, but whatever. So, This woman obviously has a couple screws loose. She is a communist. She is an insane communist, but I repeat myself. But I actually want to take her point seriously because I think she unwittingly is revealing something about the modern left and frankly, the modern right. She shares some critiques of modern society with conservatives. She is saying that some aspects of the current economic system are exploitative. And that in some ways, by making an idol of mammon, making an idol of of GDP, making an idol of these things, we are neglecting other important aspects of our society and our humanity. In the name of boosting GDP a little in the United States, we ship our manufacturing jobs overseas. We destroy communities in the United States. We sell out the American worker. That's just a fact. Is that because of capitalism? Is that because of our corporatist regime? Is it because, I don't know why you use whatever term you want. Capitalism itself is a word popularized by Karl Marx. But that that criticism of our current economic system is one that I bet this woman would share, this crazy communist. And I bet traditional conservatives who care about the American worker would, would share, right? That is an error. That is a problem. But what this woman is suggesting, what she gets so wrong is she's taking this materialist view of humanity whereby we are our bodies. We have no dignity. We have no soul. We are just meat. And so for her, if you're using your body to make widgets at the factory, or you're using your body to be degraded by men on camera or in a bordello or something, then it's the same thing. But they're not the same thing. When you use your body and your mind to create something, 
you are maintaining your dignity. When you degrade yourself and you turn yourself into an object, a, 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 a mere plaything for someone else's pleasure, you are undermining your dignity. Cons- actually, consider sex itself. I think this is why they go so crazy with the sex work. A wife and a prostitute engage in the same act, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. Why do we think one of them is good and one of them is bad? Well, what this woman would probably tell you, what the left would tell you is because of the patriarchy, it's deluded us and it's given us crazy conceptions and actually it's the same thing and it's an exploitation of men or whatever. Okay. The reason we think that is because one of them is happening out of love in a stable, loving place that gives dignity to the woman and the other is exploitative. It's really two people exploiting one another. It's the man exploiting the prostitute's desperation and the prostitute exploiting the man's desperation for sex. Right? The, the man exploiting the prostitute's need for money and greed for money and the prostitute exploiting the man's addiction to sexual pleasure and his need for instant gratification and his, his degraded view of the world. That is a mutual exploitation. A husband and a wife in a loving marriage will the good of the other person. They are building something. They're, it's not a zero-sum game where they're just like, I'm going to take this from you and you're going to take this from me. You're, a, you're actually procreating in that situation. You're creating a child. So they're, they're physically, they look like the same act, but they're totally different acts. What this woman, I suspect, is saying is actually there's a really conservative argument here. What she's saying is when women are younger, let's say a woman in her early 20s should engage in sex work. She's saying that because women who are younger are more physically attractive, they should take advantage of that, turn it to their advantage and make some money out of it. I bet what the conservative would say is actually when a woman is younger, what she should do is get married. She is more physically attractive. She's uh, got more energy, more energy to raise kids, whatever. And so yes, they're observing the same physical facts, but coming to totally different political ends. This woman, unfortunately, she's gone totally, totally wrong in her view of things, but we can actually learn from the left sometimes. We can learn from their weird perceptions of the world. That is actually one of the main points of my upcoming book, Speeches, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. I want to take the left seriously on these things. I want to take their thinkers seriously. You know, so much of this craziness on race and sex and and gender, quote unquote, comes down to a misunderstanding of really basic philosophical questions. This is why this this racial narrative has become a kind of national religion. It's got religious ceremonies. It's why Juneteenth is now a national sacred feast, a religious holiday. It's why Pride Month is on the liturgical calendar. It's because we don't understand the religious underpinnings of society. TikTok is where I get my most important Uh, understanding of the current obsession with race and sex and gender in particular. Here's a gal on TikTok explaining what it means to be gender fluid. Oh, actually, I'm gender fluid. Oh, okay. Wait, what does gender fluid mean again? Gender fluid means my gender changes depending on the day or week or even depending on the hour. It also means the pronouns I'm comfortable with can change, too. Oh, so how do I know what pronouns to use for you and other gender-fluid people? Um, we all express them differently, but personally I express them through color-coded bracelets. Pink means she, her, yellow means they, them, and blue means he, him. And if I'm comfortable with more than one pronoun, I will combine them. Oh, okay, so today's a she, they day? You got it. Okay, um, I'll keep that in mind. Okay, you got it. You got it. Do you see, uh, this is obviously a confused gal, so I'm not going to go after her too much. I think that she is expressing a very popular point of view. And no one gets the problem. Did you catch the problem with her solution? How do I know if you're a boy or a girl today? Well, you can tell by my bracelet. If I'm wearing the blue bracelet, it means this one thing. If I'm wearing this other bracelet, it means another thing. Who decides what the bracelets mean? Right now, 
right, we, looking at the symbols of our bodies, <laughs> we say that certain physical characteristics, body parts, things like that, represent man or woman. And then the radicals came in and said, you can't tell me that my Adam's apple and my broad shoulders and my other appendages represent man. They actually could represent woman. I'm a woman. You just are misunderstanding the symbols of my body. Uh, okay, so how am I going to know if you're a man or woman? Well, I'm going to wear a color-coded bracelet. Well, and then uh, how are you? You can't be the one to decide what the pink and the blue mean. It's, the, it's exactly the same problem. It just pushes it back. Ultimately, someone needs to decide what these symbols mean, whether the symbol is words, whether the symbol is color, or whether the symbol is our body itself. You can read about how to make sense of these things and why the conservatives have just completely whiffed it on this issue in my upcoming book, Speechless, hitting bookstores tomorrow. This has become a national obsession and it's very, very confused. And it leads people to make hasty and incorrect conclusions. So in Fort Lauderdale, there was a pride parade over the weekend and someone actually ran someone over, accidentally ran someone over. Uh, uh, All we ever heard was there was a car involved in hitting someone. The Fort Lauderdale mayor, Dean Trontalis, comes out and says, this is a terror attack on gay people. It's terrible. They're laying on the ground. This is clearly a terrorist act against the LGBT community. This is disgusting. This is, we're fearful of our lives. We don't know what's going on in the rest of the street. It just didn't look like he was here to uh, have a parade. He was here to cause trouble. You could see it in his face. You could see when they pulled him out, when they threw him into the car and, and, and took him away. You could see it in his face. You could tell he was a vicious, terrible, anti-gay supremacist. I knew the minute I saw this story, I said, nope. No, that's not true. I bet it was just an accident. But the mayor says it was obviously a terrorist attack. This guy's obviously a terrorist. So the guy who was driving the car, uh, he is a member of the LGBTQ chorus that was at the parade. He just hit the wrong pedal. The guy is one of the people involved in organizing the pride parade itself. The, the, president of this gay chorus, Justin Knight, came out and he said, this was not an attack on the LGBT community. Uh, The guy who was driving was in our club. Now, of course we know that. We know that America is not not this anti-gay, anti-black, whatever. I mean, it's so clear. You can just see it before your very eyes. You look at statistics, you look around the messaging from corporate America, you look around the messaging from the government and our schools. It's all discussing the evils of white supremacy and all white people are racist and straight people are oppressive and whatever, all these sorts of things. And yet they really believe it. They are so wrapped up in their own cult, the cult of victimhood and oppression, the cult of wokeism. They can't see it. The the very language that they're using is controlling the way that they understand the world. There's a great book coming out about this very topic. Ted Lieu, a uh, not the brightest bulb in the congressional pack. He's a Democrat congressman out in California. Uh, He is very upset right now because a number of bishops are putting together guidance on what to do about allegedly Catholic politicians who scandalously flout the church's teaching. This wasn't as big a deal uh, until very recently when we had a nominally Catholic president who is scandalously openly uh, in disagreement with the church on important things and is actively providing support to abortion, which is not just one issue among many. It's a very particular issue. So 60 Catholic Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives issued a statement of principles decrying the, quote, weaponization of the Eucharist to Democrat lawmakers for their support of a woman's safe and legal access to abortion. They're saying it's contradictory. In the Catholic Church, for those of you who don't know, you are not permitted to receive the Eucharist if you are in a state of mortal sin. And if you're in a state of mortal sin, it's that you've committed the sin, you haven't confessed it, you haven't repented. So the the Democrat politicians who are supporting abortion are committing not just that sin, but they're also committing the sin of scandal by confusing the faithful. So Ted Lieu writes, quote, Dear USCCB, I'm Catholic and I support contraception, a woman's right to choose, treatments for infertility, the right for people to get a divorce, the right of same-sex marriage. Next time I go to church, I dare you to deny me communion. I dare, outrageous, outrageous. Chris Hahn, actually, who's a, a Democrat that is employed by Fox News, actually beat out 
Ted Lieu for the dumbest tweet on this matter. He said, quote, time for Pope Francis to have a come to Jesus moment with Catholic bishops who deny President Biden communion. Their statement is political, not religious. What? (laughs) There's so many things wrong with this. First of all, very scandalous for a Catholic to demand that he eat his own damnation. If you eat the body of Christ without, in, in, an, in an unworthy state, this just according to St. Paul, you are eating your own damnation so that when the priests withhold it from you, it's for your own good. It's so that you don't further imperil your, your soul. But moreover, Chris Hahn says that the church needs to only act religiously, not politically, as if there's not uh, an overlap. I don't know if Chris knows this, the Pope has his own country. <laughs> Do you know that? That's the, the Pope is a political figure as well as a religious figure. And all political conflict, as Cardinal Manning tells us, is ultimately religious. This is obviously true. Our, our current state-established church, our woke regime, is the regime of radical racial theories, radical gender theories, this, these, these very, very perverse views of human nature itself. And these are being enshrined. And if you contradict that orthodoxy, you will be persecuted for it. But unlike other religious persecutions in history, this regime is not even willing to acknowledge those religious foundations. Makes it all the more dangerous. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Speechless. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky, editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico, audio mixer, Mike Coromina, hair and makeup by Nika Geneva, and production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, as our institutions of power move ever more toward critical race theory, Americans are fighting back and winning. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen. 